Good morning. Good morning. Hope you all slept well. At least got some sleep. That you didn't hold it till now. And uh, we've had our first full day, entering our second full day. I'm excited. I'm I'm curious, and Luke, you could probably let me know this. The movie Napoleon Dynamite. Is that is that well known here? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Kind of, sort of, because I swear there's some of you who are going to and from your cabins trying to reenact Napoleon Dynamite, because I'm looking and you know, I see. <laughs> I mean, you're just, I'm like, wow, I've never seen people cut across, uh, you know, maybe because my wife and I are just taking our time, and it's like you, you definitely have somewhere you're going. Uh, so that's good. I do want a, a shout out to those of you who went to the pond yesterday fishing. I appreciated you waking the fish up, not feeding them, and not making them sore mouth because we had a fishing extravaganza this morning. So those of you who were there, the five of us or six of us, we had a great time. My grandson, three-year-old, pulled in two this morning in like 15 minutes. So... We went fishing this morning, right, Jericho? Yeah. Did you have a good time? Did you catch any fish? Yeah, 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 he did. With his brand new Spider-Man fishing pole. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to let go of the Batman for a second and let your grandson have Spider-Man. But yeah, we had a good time this morning. So um, They're all sword mouth now, so don't even think about catching any now because we, we got them all. Uh, we're in John, uh, 1 John uh, this morning, uh, so if you're not sure where 1 John is, just go all the way back to the maps in the back of your Bible and turn left for a couple of books, and you'll be there. It's way near the end. And uh, similar title to what we had last night, right? Last night was Free to Stop Trying. This morning is Free to Fail. So some of you are still jazzed about this. It's not the same sermon as last night, though we probably will hit some similar things, but it is distinct and definitely worth our consideration this morning as we continue with our bigger theme of free indeed or free really. Uh, so uh, we are, like I said, 1 John 3. We're going to look at the first three verses of that chapter. So now that you have found it, why don't you stand? Thank you. Those of you anticipating by every minute. Let me read this follow along as I read, and then we'll pray once again. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Our glorious God, we thank you for the time that we've had already in worship this morning, uh, in song, 
Lord, perhaps even prior to coming here, just some time in the Word alone with you and in prayer. Lord, in these beautiful surroundings, in something as simple as enjoying a meal together, how gracious you are to give us a variety of foods and flavors and smells that we might enjoy these things. These are gifts, too, from you. And now as we come to your word, may we continue to perhaps enlarge our understanding of who you are, who we are in Christ, and the relationship that we have to our Heavenly Father. We pray these things to your glory. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? Now, as I perhaps have already hinted at, um, I, I love fishing, perhaps even more than I love Batman. I know that's hard to believe, but it, it goes back as far as Batman does. Luke even said when he was saying, hey, would you consider, you know, coming to camp and, you know, being, being, our, being the, the preacher teacher for the week, he says they have a pond there that you can fish in. That, that was one of the big selling points. I love fishing. I uh, don't get to do it as much as I, I like to. Um, but, yeah, I was pretty jazzed this morning. I'm not going to brag, but I caught more than my grandson. I'll say that. I'll say that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I love fishing. And uh, got that from my father, um, sometimes against my own will, because he would wake my brother, or on Friday nights he would tell my uh, brother and I, uh, the, the only two who were still at home, hey, do you boys want to go fishing tomorrow? It's Friday night, we're in high school. Who wants to get up at 4.30 in the morning? You want to sleep in. And we're like, ah, Dad, not tomorrow. And yeah, no, no, I don't think so. And 4.30 the next morning, I'd feel him shaking my, my toes. Okay, we're going fishing. Okay, Dad, you know. But we'd always have a good time. Uh, and so there's this... This love of fishing, and a lot of it, of course, is probably connected with uh, just being with my dad. And uh, my parents always told us, if you if you catch, uh, we always do bass fishing. You know, none of that trout fishing. You know, those girly fish, trout, bass. That's a man's fish, and that's why you can catch and release because a bass will survive. Trout, no, please take them out because they're going to die if you've caught them. And they said, if you catch one that's 10 pounds or more, we'll have it mounted for you. So that was always the goal. And I have had 10 pounders or more on my line, and they would always, of course, break my line. Uh, but once fishing in my father's, on, on my father's property, he bought some land when he retired, and they had a lake built that was 12 acres, I think, 12 or 14 acres. And I finally caught my big fish. I was going to get mounted. So this was in East Texas. So my mom took it to their place, the guy who does the, the mounting, the taxidermist. And uh, I think it was two or three months later, here comes the box. Now out of the box is my fish, beautiful, largemouth bass, mounted on this piece of driftwood. And there it went, up on the wall in the family room much to the dismay of my wife. <laughs> and eventually said, wouldn't that look much better 
in your office. Okay, boom, it moved to the office. Wouldn't it look better down at the church? Down to the church it goes. This was over, you know, a few years. Almost every time we moved, it, the fish moved somewhere else. And eventually left the church office and ended up in my garage. The only time anyone ever saw it, other than myself, was maybe if my garage was open and a friend came through and saw that. Oh, did you catch that? That was always the thing. Did you catch that? Oh, yeah, and then I got to tell the story all over again about how I caught it, and that plug hit right past that log, and as I went by it, bam, it hit it, you know, all the story over and over again. And eventually, it even came down off the wall in the garage and ended up on a shelf where it just literally collected dust. And after a while, this, this, you know, the skin starts pulling off the frame, and it didn't look anything like it did when I first pulled it in. And eventually it just, I don't, now I don't even know where it's at. I think it's probably, and again, some landfill somewhere. It's gone. Now I tell you that because I think grace is often treated in our lives, kind of like the journey of that fish was. There was that great moment in history that we preserve for a while and go back to from time to time but it just keeps getting kind of pushed further back and further back and further back until it's just kind of a, a lost thought at some point. Oh, that time when I came to Christ and knew his grace, but now it's what I do. What I conform uh, to keep kind of things going. And... Um, the Christian life, again, is, is much like that. It, it, it can become a graceless pursuit of sorts. Still doing perhaps good things, maybe even with good intentions, but divorced from the very grace that we started this journey with. I remember this became very profound to me at one point when uh, I was... Uh, at a church that my wife and I were a part of a few years ago, and the preacher started his sermon with this list up on the screen for all of us to see. And he bam, 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 all of these names of various television shows. Now, he was doing this series on, uh, I think it was like violence in entertainment, something like that. I don't remember what the sermon was, but I remember this. He had all of these titles of television shows and he presented the question how many of those shows have you seen or do you watch regularly now his point was he was counting on most of us having seen at least a few of those shows so he could say you know all of these really are not presenting a good you know Christian worldview those kinds of things and I remember sitting back and having the sensation I guess as I saw those I thought I haven't seen any of those and I don't watch any of those and then afterwards, I repented and realized that list really, for the most part, put people into two groups, both of which were graceless pursuits. Because if you recognized and could identify with those shows that were on the list, you immediately had this graceless guilt. Oh, am I not supposed to watch those things if I really love Jesus? And then for the few in the room that were like me that hadn't seen any of those, you had this graceless arrogance. 
Thank you, Lord, that you have not made me like all of those around here who have seen those shows. Either way, it ended up in a graceless pursuit. When we talk about the Christian life and how we grow in Christ, what we call sanctification, uh, Galatians, which we, if you remember, we touched on that uh, last night. Right after that section that we looked at last night, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The word bewitched there uh, is the idea of uh, who's cast a spell over you to cheat you out of your inheritance, is how it was used. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Remember this whole idea, right, of the works versus faith. Are you so foolish, and here's the stinger, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Or as we would state maybe in other ways, you started your faith journey, right, by the power of the Spirit. Are you now becoming more like Christ through your efforts, apart from the Spirit of God in your life? Saved by grace, but sanctified by works. Paul's saying, is, is that what you, you think is going on here? Is that really how you think the Christian life is lived out? See, because much in our culture, if we were being honest with ourselves, is on what we deserve, what we have done to deserve this, what we have earned. Grace is really not in our DNA. We, we kind of fight against that, actually. Whether receiving it or giving it, grace really isn't a part of who we are. And it's my desire that we allow 1 John 3 to resurrect grace in our lives and in the process show you that you are free to fail. Now that, again, that may seem like an odd way of approaching this, but as we finish today, I, I think you'll put it together and say, ah, that, I understand how we are free to fail. But before we get there, we're always set in context. 1 John why does John even write this? Well, he tells us, and that's always a great thing when an author says, hey, this is why I'm writing this for you. And he does, but he tells us this near the end of the letter. He says, these things I have written to you who believe. So if you are a child of God this morning, if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, First John's been written for you, been written for me for this purpose, so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Did you know that God wants you to know, have the assurance that you have eternal life? That you're not going through your whole life wondering am I a child of God? Do I have eternal life? Have I lost it? John says I've written this so that you might know without a doubt that you have eternal life. Now, unfortunately, many have treated 1 John like a Christian litmus test. 
Litmus test is something that is used in science and other things to say, okay, this we're identifying. We're going to use this so we know what chemical or response that we have. That's a litmus test to see the genuineness of something. And they'll go through and say, okay, John is saying, if you're a Christian, you'll, you'll look this way, you'll do this, you'll do this, you'll do this. Here's your list. Check it off. Do I have at least, you know, three out of the five things on the list? If so, I'm good. If I only have two, maybe not. And nestled in the middle of that, of this litmus test, so to speak, we have 1 John 3, 1 through 3. And I believe the reason why John has placed this little part for us is because he knows even the child of God is going to fail the test at times. You can read through this, and I encourage you to do so, because there are evidences, right? There's fruit of the Spirit in your life if you're a child of God. No question about that. But again, whether maybe you're having a bad day spiritually. Have you somehow fallen outside of God's love? You will fail the test at times. So John puts this here to say, you know, on those days where you're not hitting it on all cylinders, you need to know this. And John presents us with three principles of how God's love, not your performance, but God's love, is the anchor of grace in our lives so that you won't drift away from the love of God. Three principles of how God's love is the anchor of grace in our lives. The first one is this. God's love is the birthright. God's love is the birthright of grace. Chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are, or simply, the, the such isn't there. In the Greek it would just simply read, and we are. Now, if you know anything about John, who you know, he's written 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Gospel of John, he is often called the Apostle of Love, which only sounds like an R&B or a funk singer from the 70s. But he is called the Apostle of Love because he talks so much about love. Do you know that in his Gospel, he rarely refers to himself by his name, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Christ loved. That's how he saw himself. What a great way to be to view yourself. So he speaks a lot about love. Here he speaks a lot about God's love. Luke read it earlier, right from the later in the book. And he begins this little section for us with the word see. And it's a command for us to consider. If we were up at the pond and someone said, hey, did you see those all those fish over there? That's not really a command, is it? That's just like, it's a suggestion. It's a question. Oh, did you see that? But if someone's go, see fish over there. They're saying there's an urgency. Look at it. Go. Look. See. Consider it. And that's what John's saying here. He wants us to take the time. He wants us to process this. 
And what is it that he wants us to look deeply into? He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. The how great there, see how great a love, speaks of the, uh, not the manner, but he's saying, see how wonderful, or probably a better way for us to look at it. He's not speaking about the quantity, see how great in number or vastness, but the quality, see how great. There, there's an old song that probably about three of us in here would know, but there's an old song that talks about a couple's, quote, groovy kind of love. That kind of love, right? It's a groovy kind of love. And that's somewhat what Paul's saying here. He says, look at the kind of love, the beauty, the, 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 the essence of the love, the, the magnificence of the love that the Father has on us. And what kind of love is this? It's the kind of love, God's love, in which he takes sinners and makes them children. Remember when the prodigal son comes back and he's working it through his mind and he says, I'm not even going to look to be a son anymore. I would be happy simply to be a servant of my father. Of course, the father says, we'll have none of that, right? You're a son. Put the robe on him. Put the ring on right? All of this. That's the kind of love that God... If God would simply erase our debt and, as it were, put us back in the Garden of Eden, what a glorious thing that would be. But he goes way beyond that. He makes us children of God, sons, daughters of God. And we know elsewhere, now John does not say this here, but Paul uses the imagery quite a bit, and that is the imagery of adoption, right? We are adopted children of God. And the reason why that's important is because in the first century, Roman law, when someone is adopted into a family, you have, first of all, full rights as a child. You're not somehow a secondary son or daughter. You have full rights. And in many cases, you actually are more secure in your rights as an adopted child than you were as a natural-born child. The Romans had it right because your natural born child, you really had no choice in the matter. Well, it's my son. Well, it's my daughter. But the way the Romans saw it, and you could adopt at any point. Maybe you didn't have the children. Maybe your natural born son, you didn't really want to give him all the stuff. So you would adopt someone you had respect for. I know it sounds harsh, but, you know, Roman Empire. And the idea was, you can disown your natural-born child. You cannot, under Roman law, disown an adopted child. And the thinking is this. You, at some point, made a decision, a conscious decision, to choose that child, that person, and saying, you're in the family. I made a choice about this. And that's what God has done for us. He says, you are mine. I'm making a choice in this matter. I am choosing to set my love on you, and nothing will separate that. You are forever my child. Nothing will change that. 
What is your family claim based on? It's not you. It's, it's not what you have done. It's not me. It's not what I have done. But God, his love, right? That's that God, uh, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. That's why we're called children of God if we work it back, back way, because backwards because God's love. We also see this if we go back two chapters. For me, just looking on the other side of the page here. John says earlier on, and we know this, we quote this, we memorize this. He says, if we confess our sins, there are two key things here. Don't just you know fly by them. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. On what basis do we have any insurance that our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness? Two things that we have assurance for from this. One, he is faithful. What does that mean? It means God has promised something and he will see it through. He's not going to renege on that. He's not going to change his mind on that. He's faithful to it. Even though we're not terribly faithful, are we? God is always faithful. He says, if you will trust my son, I will forgive you. Full stop. He's faithful to his promises. And secondly, he's not only is he faithful, but he is righteous. That's important. Because what it says is, if you are trusting in Christ, if Christ has died for you, if Christ was your substitute when he hung on that cross, and the full wrath of God was poured out on his son, God would be unjust to punish you for the very sins that his son has already paid for. God is a righteous, just God. And if he has already forgiven your sin in his son, you can be assured your sins have been dealt with in Christ. All that to say, this is all based on what God has done. Your family claim is based on God. His love, his faithfulness, his righteousness. Now, why is this important? Why am I spending so much time on this? Why? Because, as John says, you are a child of God because of his love, not earning it. You are. It's not something you hope to be someday, and I'm talking to those of you who've named the name of Christ. It's not because you're working on it, working towards it, if you are a child of God, you are a child of God, a child of God, you are. As Yoda might say, I guess, in the word order. The family bond is so strong, it says the world does not know you, it speaks of intimacy there, because they don't know Christ. That's how close the bond is. So God's love is your birthright of grace if you have trusted in Christ. What about when we stray, when we stumble, when we sin? That doesn't look like Christ or his family, does it? And that's where we start on the slippery slope. When we have failed, 
Do we earn our way back? Well, that will bring us to the next one, because John doesn't just leave us there. He kind of anticipates that. John has walked the journey as we have walked, or we are walking. So first, God's love is the birthright of grace. Secondly, God's love is the security of grace. It's the birthright of grace, and it is the security of grace. We get this from the first part of verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. This is really the heart, if you will, of what we want to consider this morning as it relates to our larger series of being free indeed. First thing that John does, just in case you forgot it already from verse 1, is he restates our position. Beloved, now beloved, clearly he's speaking to Christians. Now we are children of God. He already said that, right? Verse 1. You're a child of God. We are children of God because of the love of God. He says it again. He reminds us. He's setting up because he's about to tell us something really important. Now, we are children of God. And then, for me, some extremely comforting words. It has not appeared as yet what we will be. Now you may say, well, why is that so encouraging? I get the part that, you know, it's encouraging that God's love is great and he's bestowed on us and we're children of God. Why is that so encouraging? For me, it's encouraging because we blow it. You're going to mess up a lot. If I was a betting man, I bet you already have since we set foot here on Monday. And I bet you will probably before lunch. Whether in deed or thought or in some way, you're not, you're not going to hit it perfectly. And when we start getting consumed with that and looking, and that's all we see, we can start to wonder, am I a child of God? Now, there's a place for that, actually, of, of self-examination, without a doubt, because sometimes we can be deceived the other way. Well, look what I've done for Jesus. I must be, you know. But in the midst of this, the, the, the flow of the letter and all of these self-examinations, it would be so very easy to say, well, I must not be because I failed the litmus test again. John knows that. He anticipates that. And he says, whoa, slow down. It's, it's not appeared as yet as what we will be. We haven't fully arrived. You realize that, don't you? The writer of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, he understood this because he says, prone to wander. Not sometimes, I'm prone to that. That's kind of my disposition. I'm prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I really do love you, God, but you know, I, I, I go off all the time, and I know it. We often, too often, look more like the spawn of Satan than a child of the king. But we haven't arrived yet. We're not there. I can guarantee you, Luke and his siblings, yeah, it was great when they came into the family. But I'm like, oh, that's it? 
He, do, he doesn't look now like he looked then. Right? I mean, he kind of grew into that stuff. He changed. And he's going to keep changing. I'm, I'm speaking physically here, right? Um, we're not complete yet. We're still being conformed to the image of Christ. Think of the last time you, you sat down in a restaurant, you're looking at the menu. Maybe they don't have beer, batter, prawns there. But you're looking at the picture of the burger there. That bacon blue cheeseburger. Oh, man, look at that. Big piece of meat. It's juicy. That bacon looks perfectly. You're looking at that. Yes, I'll have that. And, uh, yeah, give me, give me the garlic fries. I don't know. Let's go all out. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, boom, here it comes. Can I see the menu again? That doesn't look anything like what I thought I was getting. Completely different. And when we read the scripture of, you know, if, if we're, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, and we're seeing Christ, and we're seeing that beautiful picture, and then we look at ourselves and we realize, wait, there's a disconnect here. John says, you're not there yet. I'm still working on you. God's still working on you. It's okay. Don't, don't be paralyzed in your Christian walk because you're not there yet. God knows that. He's still working on you. The potter's still working on the clay, forming the clay. And we know this all too well, and sometimes like that we lose sight of grace of his unchanging love. We said it last night. Luke said it this morning. I'll say it again in case somehow you missed it. But God's love for you cannot be increased or decreased. It cannot. Cannot be increased or decreased. It is perfect. It is whole. It's complete. Why is this important? I will say it as John does. If you are a Christian here this morning, you have trust in Christ. You are capital letter, bold, underlined, you are a child of God that will not, cannot change. When God blessed us with our second son, our first son, we'll, we'll include him and in that, and our third son and our daughter, right? But when, when Luke was ours, he was my son from that very moment. Did he obey perfectly every time? Luke, did you obey perfectly every time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe in his mind he did. But he has a depraved mind. <laughs> Darkened by sin. I can tell you stories, and Luke knows I can tell you stories. Those times in which maybe Luke has forgotten about, where he didn't obey perfectly, when maybe he was a little rebellious. Did he stop becoming my son? No. No. Maybe he wished he had because of the consequences of his disobedience. But no, he didn't. And he will forever be my son. 
He could walk around. He could denounce me right now, but he will forever be my son. He's mine and forever will be. If you have trusted in Christ, you are a child of God. You're not going to lose that. You can't earn it. You didn't earn it to begin with. You can't lose them and you know earn it back somehow. You are. Matter of fact, the fact that you are, you might feel the discipline of God in your life. Not the punishment. Your sin's already been punished in Christ, but he might he disciplines his children who he loves. Did I discipline Luke? Oh yeah. Because I loved him. Did I discipline other people's children who were out of control at Walmart? No. As much as I wanted to. <laughs> Why? Because they weren't my children. I disciplined my children. You would have known my children because they didn't act up at Walmart. They waited till they got home. <laughs> We are children of God positionally, if you're a Christian here this morning. And we are becoming, in a sense, right, experientially the children of God. It's what theologians call already not yet. You're saved, you're being saved. It's not like there's any doubt that you're going to you know, make it to the other side. It's just like, and there's things that God's working out in your life. By the design of God, you will look more and more like Christ. The more and more you walk with Christ. My own father, he was a man's man. I could tell you stories about him all day long and things I, you know, I still think like, man, I would never do that. You know, like the time he almost got jumped on a New York subway by two guys during rush hour. It's like, really? And, you know, my father putting handkerchief in his hand so that his fist was ready to take the impact and telling the one guy who was trying to size him up, you can try to take my money, but you got to fight on your hands. Man, I wish I could think of things cool like that to say. <laughs> and the guy turns to his buddy and says, let's go find somebody else. Lots of stories like that. I mean, he was just, you know, Born in 1930, during the Depression, you know, served in the Navy, got drafted into the Army, go fight, uh, fight in Korea, you know. He's a man's man. I always felt in his shadow. He, he, Lord, took him 20 years ago. But I still do. I still feel like a child when I think of my, my father. But increasingly even though my father's not with us anymore. Increasingly, I feel like I'm bearing his likeness. As silly as this may sound to you, there's times where I clear my throat, just, <clears throat> and I hear my father clearing his throat. I remember when, now he was a smoker, I'm not, but there were times he would just clear his throat. Why is he doing it? And then all of a sudden, I'm hearing it in myself. And there's going to be little things about my father because I bear his likeness. And in a similar way, the more we walk in Christ, the more we will start to bear the likeness 
of our Father. And we've mentioned, uh, I think, two or three times already, right, that, that great line from before the throne of God that when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Or perhaps there's things that has nothing to do with your own sin, but just difficulties in life. And you start to wonder, because it's so human of us to do so. And there's nothing wrong with that, because we're human to think, does God even like me? Why is this happening? Maybe I'm outside of his favor. This is not new with me. I, I couldn't even tell you who originally said it. But the, the basic idea of what you have believed in the light, you must trust in the dark. What you have believed in the light, that which you have taught, I know you're getting good teaching from Luke. We get great teaching on Sunday mornings from the, the pulpit. Those things you're like, yes, you give assent to. Yes, yes, I believe that, believe that. Then comes the difficult times when you need that truth. Just because it's dark times, don't all of a sudden feel like, well, that which I held to and gave you know, wholeheartedly approval and said amen to, all of a sudden, well, maybe that wasn't true. No, you, that's when you need to cling to it. It's easy to give a scent in the, when the light, in the light, but in the dark, we must hang on to it and realize that God's love is the security of grace, even when we don't feel like a child of God, largely because we have failed again. Finally, God's love is the hope of grace. The hope. And that's the very word that John's going to use here in verse 3. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, or simply hope on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. We've said it before, when we're talking about hope, we'll say it again. Biblical hope is never wishful thinking. I sure hope this happens. I sure hope I catch a fish this morning. It's always a settled confidence. It's faith looking forward, right? Looking ahead. What hope is John talking about here? Is it just the end of pain? I can't wait till there's no more, you know, I can't wait to heaven when there's, you know, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more writing that I read about or see in the news, no more killing that I hear about. All those things certainly are things we hope for. We look forward to that day. But what John is talking about here, specifically, all those who have this hope. What hope? The hope that he just talked about in the previous verse when he says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That's the hope he's talking about here. The hope that we will be just like him. We will be complete. We won't struggle with sin. We won't struggle with temptation. We will be complete in the presence of God. We're not there yet. But those of us who have that hope, that rest assurance to the future, the faith looking to the future, what's our response? That we, uh, that we purify ourselves. What does that mean? How do we purify ourselves? It's what we call sanctification, progressive sanctification. Are there things that we, as Christians, can do to cooperate with the Spirit in our sanctification? Right? Because it's the Spirit of God who is conforming us to the image of Christ. Yes. 
It's what theologians call synergism. You don't need to write that. That's not going to be on the test. Synergism, it's right, our cooperation with the Spirit of God. It's not just let go and let God. Okay, Spirit, I'm here. Zap me, I'm waiting for it. I'll obey when you, you, know, you give me the zap. No, there are things that God has said. Here's the way that, you, that I work through that, is, that conforms you to the image of Christ. We do this not because we seek to earn God's favor or his love. We already have that, right? You can't. And it's not to prove that you're better than others because, quite frankly, you're not. But we do these things primarily for two reasons. One, they're the God-ordained means by which the intimacy with him is experienced in greater measure. I want to know more of who God is. He has revealed himself in his word and his son through his spirit. So I want to put myself in the stream, as it were, to know more of who God is. Because the more I know of God and who God is and his character and my relationship to him, the greater my capacity for love towards him and towards others. My wife and I just celebrated 35 years of glorious marriage together. Thank you. Give me a clap for that. That's burning. Just last week, 35 years. They said it wouldn't go past 35 days, but in 35 years. She must be a saint. She is. She's going to have room in her mansion for all the crowns she's going to get. That's a whole other thing. I don't actually believe everybody gets a mansion. We can talk about that some other time. But I know my wife better today than I did 35 years ago. Because we have shared life together. We've shared struggles together. I, I, I understand her better than I did back then. And our capacity to love each other has expanded because of that. It's not because it's you know, been the, the dream date for 35 years. But it's because we know each other better now. And our love and our capacity for love has grown. Secondly, the reason why we do this is because it's the means in which God forms in us the image of Christ. Not motivated by guilt, but by love. And with the freedom to fail. Hey, I'm going to pursue these things realizing I might not do it right all the time. Martin Luther often quoted often misunderstood, said, be a sinner and sin boldly. I can get behind that. He doesn't stop there. Be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. He says, don't let your, again, fear of failure paralyze you. Go out and live life. And guess what? In the process, you're probably going to sin, but sin big if you're going to sin, but realize that Christ, right? Rejoice in him even more boldly. Now, how do we cultivate this kind of grace in our lives? Well, I would say, one, you need to feed your soul, both your head and your heart. And there's many ways we can do that. Hearing preaching, filling your mind and heart with songs that speak of Christ and what he's done. Do, do, 
Songs and lyrics matter? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, just because it's on Christian radio doesn't mean it's going to feature soul well. I can tell you that right now. Be selective. Pick the good stuff. And feed your soul on the person and work of God. Do read your Bibles, but not out of guilt, right? It's because I want to know him more. When I was dating my wife, we, we went out a lot. I wanted to know her. No, no one had to say, well, it's Friday night. you got to go you know, over and find out more about Joe. No, no, you couldn't have kept me away. I mean, I, I know she can remember a time. I mean, I was doing some schooling, and for some reason our class got canceled. You know where I went? I went over to her house. Man, I got an extra two hours. I'm going to go hang out with her. I want to know her more. There are some books you can read. I mean, good authors. And again, just because it's in the Christian section somewhere or some Christian website doesn't mean it's a great book. Be selective. There's a lot of good books. Some of the old stuff and some of the new stuff. You're not sure what, what to read? You, you, you got some great youth folks here that can point you in the right direction. Spend time with others. Others who you see Christ being formed in them. And spend time with them. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. There's nothing wrong with that. Just make sure you're following the right person. And be honest with your need, your own need. And believe what God has said. In striving to be more like Christ, not more like what others said I should look like, we are free to fail. And you're going to fail. Don't let that paralyze you, though. John Newton, who penned the great hymn Amazing Grace, who his life was an, an incredible life. Uh, he was a, a ship's captain who used to pick up prisoners, basically, captives from Africa and sell them into slavery. God got a hold of his heart. And, that, and that's why he pens Amazing Grace. Looking back on his life as one who sold other people into bondage and realized the heavy weight of that sin. But how amazing it is that God would save someone like him near the end of his life is quoted as saying this. Although my memory's fading, already I can say amen to that. Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. If you remember nothing else, those are two great things to remember. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Uh, I think I mentioned, to, we, we were talking a little bit about sports last night during the free time, and uh, I played, I think, five years of Little League. Actually got my name in the paper a couple of times. I swear my dad must have been paying off the local newspaper guy. Was, you know. But, you know, hit a home run every once in a while, get your name in the paper, and I cut them out and put them in my, my scrapbook kind of a thing. But there were plenty of times that I got up there and I struck out. I struck out. And you know what? My father still loved me. 
Even though I struck out. I didn't hit a home run this time. I didn't even get on base this time. I struck out. My father still loved me. And you know what? He encouraged me to get back in the box. And sometimes I even hit the ball. Our Heavenly Father is much like that. You're going to strike out at times. You really are. And he still loves you. And he's going to say, that's okay. Get back in the box. You might hit it this time. Doesn't matter even if you don't. I still love you. But I want you to get back in the box. Let's pray. God, your love for us, your gracious love, because we did not deserve it, your mercy, because what we did deserve was your wrath and punishment and hell, but you gave us Christ instead. You gave us yourself instead. Your love is the anchor of grace, is our birthright, because you have made us children of God, and such we are. Father, I, I thank you that you, through your servant, John, have included these words for us, that 2,000 years later we can look at them and know that your love will not be diminished because we fail, because we don't look like Christ. That your spirit, through your means, is, is conforming us to the image of Christ. And he will continue to do so to the day that either Christ returns or that you take us home through death into the glorious life eternal. You will continue to conform us, to shape us, to mold us. You will not leave us as we are. You will discipline us as a father who loves us. And you will embrace us as the father who loves us. Lord, give us the boldness to go out and to, to seek to live a life that glorifies Christ boldly, knowing that we will fail. Not all the time, but we will fail. And that your love will still be upon us. And may we remember those two great things. We're great sinners, but Christ is a great Savior. To him be the glory.